I wrote a book titled The Grace Pipeline. When I submitted it to Pacific Press, they'd asked for a book. They said, oh, it's a wonderful book, but we've got to change the title. And I said, what do you mean we've got to change the title? The whole book is about the Grace Pipeline. And they said, oh, but a lot of Adventists are afraid to buy anything that has the grace in the title. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. And I think the reason why is because the truth of grace has been so abused. And I've read a few books by some people, even within our church, that you see their picture of grace and you go, where did this come from? While it is true that grace relieves us of the pharisaical legalism, it is an absolute distortion by the devil to say that grace frees us to sin or that anybody who mentions obedience is legalistic and unlearned in grace. So what we have to understand is that it is the love of God that is the compelling force behind his grace. And if we resist his love, we resist his grace. And if we resist grace, we resist developing the character of Christ. So let's start here. I want to define grace. What is grace? Somebody tell me, what is grace? Unmerited favor. Everywhere I go, that's the response I get. That is true. Although I think that we're going to develop a little bit further tonight. Um, and don't let me forget to give you the definition that God gave me. But let's unpack unmerited favor. What does unmerited mean? Unearned, undeserved. What is favor? Ever been to a party and got a party favor? Favor, it's the unearned, undeserved gifts of God. Open your Bibles to John, John, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Tonight's title is God's Three Greatest Gifts. The greatest gifts of grace. What is God's number one greatest gift of grace? Let me set up where we're going. There was a Samaritan woman who had had five husbands, was living with a sixth man. And let me stop there and say, don't be judgmental of her. During that time, a man, if if you burn the toast, sister, he could say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. For any reason. So she'd had five men who had dumped her along the side. The sixth man wouldn't even give her the honor of giving her his last name. So she's living with him. It was either that or prostitution. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot she could go out and do. But she is going to the well to get water. 
in the middle of the day. And I've been to Israel five times. And I tell you what, in the middle of the day, in the summertime, it can be 130 degrees. So nobody went to the well in the middle of the day. Why did she go there? Probably to avoid the whisperings and the finger pointing of the other women who went to the well. But little did she know that day that when she went to the well, she was about to meet number seven, man number seven, the number of perfection. And she asks, he asks her, give me a drink. And she looks at him and says, I can tell by the way you're dressed, you're a Jew. Jews thought that Samaritans were like dogs. As a matter of fact, I want to read this to you. There was 700 years of bad blood to them. And in the Mishnah, it says, it is better to die of thirst than to accept a drink from a Samaritan. So she is shocked. First of all, men didn't talk to, they didn't address women in public. And she's shocked that he's asking her for a drink. Now look at John chapter 4 and verse 10. She says, why? How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In my sanctified imagination, here's how I see it. He's sitting on the well. He asks her for a drink. And she says, how can you, a Jew, ask a Samaritan woman for a drink? And I see Jesus standing. And I see him spreading out his arms. More than just a welcoming embrace. It was the position he would take on the cross. And he was said to her, Oh woman, if only you knew I am the gift of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of God's grace. And Romans 5, 8, Paul writes and said, this is how God demonstrated his love for us, that he sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. No wonder he says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his only begotten son, but gave him up for us, how much more will he freely give us all things now that we are his children. It is amazing to me to think that Jesus condescended to become a human. You know, scholars don't call it the humility of Christ. They call it the humiliation of Christ. Think of this created order. I heard this from Kenneth Cox, and I've never forgotten it. God created angels and then men. 
Over here, under men, he created animals and insects. For Jesus to become a man, what did he skip? He didn't just condescend to become an angel. He condescended to become a man. Kenneth Cox says, that would be like us not condescending to become an animal, but condescending to become an insect, to become a cockroach to save the cockroaches. Jesus, the one who created us, stepped out of eternity and into our lives to save us. Isn't that amazing to you? I mean, I don't think we will. I think for the rest of eternity, we're going to be trying to understand this. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our wisdom from God. He is our redemption. He's everything for us. So Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of grace. Now, before we leave Jesus to go on to the second one, turn to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. We're going to be in the Bible quite often this weekend. But I want you to see this verse because Jesus, the new covenant is just a progression of the old covenant. And Jesus is the guarantor. Let me read this to you, Hebrews 7, 22. Well, first of all, he's setting it up here, saying that Jesus is a priest forever. And he goes on in verse 22, and he says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. That word means a guarantor. In other words, Jesus guarantees that all of God's promises are yes and amen in him. He is the guarantor between God and us to say that all of God's promises are ours. Hallelujah. But even better than that, sisters, is that Jesus is the guarantor from us to God that we will walk in covenant faithfulness for he is working in us to will and to do God's pleasure. So he is our guarantor. As long as you're in Jesus, you're saved. To me, it is so exciting. Now, Jesus is the number one greatest gift of grace. What is the second greatest gift of grace? When Jesus was ready to ascend to heaven, he told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and tarry there. Wait until you have received the promise from on high. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. The Holy Spirit is the second greatest gift of grace. 
unearned, undeserved. There's nothing that you can do to deserve Christ. There's nothing that you can do to deserve the Holy Spirit. And listen to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 and onward. Paul is writing and he says, He's praying that he, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. That's with dunamis, with power. In in the Greek, dunamis is like a dynamite power. That you would be strengthened with might. In, uh, let me read this. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. When the Holy Spirit is living in you, you are strengthened with the power of God. But he goes on to say, why? It's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me stop there. Do you realize there's one thing that Christ gave up forever because he became a human being? He gave up his omnipresence. When he returned to heaven with a body, he told his disciples, it's better for you that I go, because when I go, I will send another helper, Allos Paracletos, one who is exactly like me, and he will live in you. He will be with you always. Jesus isn't in our hearts physically, He lives in our hearts by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. When the Holy Spirit is in us, there's two things that I want to point out. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. Jesus, why did Jesus come? He didn't come to save us in our sins, what did he come to do? Save us from our sins. And in Romans 8.13, let's look at that. Paul writes, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Two are working together. You cannot put to death the deeds of your body, the misdeeds of your body. Jeremiah 13, 23, you can't change yourself any more than a leopard can change his spots or an Ethiopian can change his skin. But the Holy Spirit is not going to come into your life and force you. What the scripture says here is that if you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
eternally. So what it's, it's cooperation. It's you surrendering control and saying, yes, come and live in my heart. And then as he lives in your heart, you have that dynamite power in you. You understand the love of God. And your obedience is merely an expression of appreciation for salvation. And you put to death the misdeeds of your flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. Is this making sense? Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. What it says, as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Who's doing the work? The Lord. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that, anytime you see so, so that, that, that is a purpose statement. So he's saying, oh, may God make you increase and abound in love for the purpose of that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Do you realize what Paul just said? May God cause you to increase and abound in love so that you will become blameless in holiness. In other words, as you grow in divine love, you grow in holiness. See, Romans 5.5 5 says that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, is he not? He is not just the spirit of holiness. God is love, so he is the spirit of love. So as the Holy Spirit, when people will say, how do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Because God's love will be dwelling in your heart. You know what? It's the only way, by the way, without the Holy Spirit, without him in our life, there's no way that we can keep the two greatest commandments. What did Jesus say, Mark 12, 30? What's the greatest commandment? That you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. I can't do that. That you would love your neighbor as yourself. I can't do that. Not in my own power. But when the power of the Holy Spirit, when that dunamis power, when God pours his very essence into me by the power of his Holy Spirit, guess what? He changes me. He changes my heart. I'm going to tell you a story. I shouldn't, <laughs> but I will. We were in a, a, on a certain trip with a group, and there was a woman who was, hmm, she was a challenge. As my husband would say, she was a handful. And she was very easily offended. She was griping and complaining all the time. 
She was kind of mean-spirited, more than kind of. She was quite mean-spirited. And at the end of the trip, she said to someone, I'm ready to be translated. <laughs> and they said, what? And she says, I'm ready to be translated. I'm a vegan. I do this. I do that. I'm ready for translation. This poor woman didn't represent Christ very well. She didn't understand what salvation was all about. She was doing everything to save herself. Now, the funny part to the story is that the person that she said that to said, well, let me tell you something. You and I are never going to be translated. <laughs> and she said, why not? He said, we're too fat. Being a vegetarian, being a vegan, that's good for your health, but it's not going to save you. Washing your face off with no makeup and putting your hair back in a little bun, it's not going to save you. You know, I, I like what H&S Richards said, that if the barn needs painting, paint it. This old barn needs some paint. <laughs> Dressing modestly is very important, but it's not going to save you. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works that any man should boast. See, it is to think that it was Christ's sacrifice plus something else is diminishing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we've got to understand salvation is by grace through faith. The one thing, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and pours God's divine love into us, you know what love does? Love consumes sin. This is why the unholy cannot stand in the presence of God. When the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire, it is not that it's a raging fire of anger and wrath. It is that his divine love consumes sin. So as you are filled, and day by day we've got to ask to be filled. I, I, if there's one thing I could suggest to you, one thing I would beg you to do, when you first get up in the morning, pray and ask the Father to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because without him it is impossible to lead a Christian life. And we are leaky vessels. You know, we grieve the Spirit. We resist the Spirit. We even quench the Holy Spirit of God. So day by day, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrender control of your life to him and see how different life will be. So what is the third greatest gift of grace? Anybody want to guess? 
We've got Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all, were, all Scripture was given by God. It was given by God by inspiration. And, and that was so that it was good for doctrine, good for righteousness, good for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In James 1.21, James says, when the word is implanted in your heart, it has the power to save your souls. Let me ask you, how much of God's word is planted in your heart? Oh, sisters, we've got to get God's word in our heart. It is alive. It is active. And we're going to talk some more about the word this weekend. But when that word is implanted in our hearts, God will reprogram. He will renew our minds. He will renew our attitudes. And in 2 Peter, I have to read you this. 2 Peter, if you're turning, it's 2 Peter chapter 2. And I will begin with verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I always get this confused. Verse 3. How's that? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Here's what Peter says. His divine power, again that's that dunamis, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, by his glory and virtue, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me ask you a question. If I have a handful of corn seed here and a handful of wheat here, and if I plant corn on this side, and I plant wheat on this side, what crop am I going to get here? What crop am I going to get here? Why? Because the potential of the harvest is in the seed. Let me repeat that. The potential of the harvest is in the seed. Jesus said, his word is seed, and all of your potential is wrapped inside his word. It is only as you get that word in your heart and begin to confess it over your life, pray it back to the Lord, that it, as you plant it in your heart, it has the power to save your soul. Please, please, and I... I, I Pray this for myself, too, that God will give me an unquenchable desire for his inexhaustible word, that that word that I will want not, and I know what it's like. You know, let me tell you what my schedule's like. Monday through Thursday, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We leave for the office before 7. We usually get home by 7. We're usually in bed by 8.30 because we have to get up at 4 o'clock the next morning. Then... Friday, that's Monday through Thursday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're usually traveling. 
and we get in late on Sunday and get up and go do it all again. We, it's, it's kind of a non-stop thing. You know, and sometimes people at 3ABN will say, well, why do you go out and speak? And I said, I have to, to stay in the word. Just because somebody's in ministry, don't think they're anything different than you. You know, basically, I have a corporate position now. I mean, I've got a lot of responsibilities. Everybody at 3ABN wears multiple hats. It is so easy for me to get up in the morning, and that's mornings when I do laundry and cleaning and do different things, but I can get up with something that's got to be done and, and just kind of short prayer, short, short little devotional, go and promise God to give him more later. And then at the end of the day, what I'm giving him is leftovers. As you crawl into bed, absolutely exhausted. And it is also easy to just come home, flip on 3ABN. I've got about an hour to relax. Sit down in your, your recliner and just watch TV. But it's completely different when you're in the Word asking the Holy Spirit to teach you. It's totally different. We've got to get into the Word. I believe end times are closing in on us. We see the signs all around us. All of the major lines of prophecy are being fulfilled at accelerating rate. Jesus is returning soon and very soon. We've got to get into the word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You know, there's two kinds of sanctification. First of all, let me ask you, do you know what the word sanctification means? Sanctification and holiness are synonyms. They're one and the same. And they both mean the same thing, to be set apart from sin for God's purposes. It's simple. See, we're afraid of the word holiness. If you start talking about holiness, people are kind of like, you know, because we've seen holiness movements where it is man who is trying to... Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like him. I pay my tithe. I do that. Remember the Pharisee and the sinner at the temple? See... Holiness movements isn't, I mean, you can do everything you want to clean yourself up on the outside and be nothing more than a whitewashed tomb with dead bones inside of you. Holiness comes when God's love is poured into your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and he changes you. But there is two types of holiness, sanctification, same word. There is positional sanctification, just as we read in 1 Corinthians 1.3, that when we are in Christ, he is our wisdom from God, he is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We've been set apart in Christ. So that's positional sanctification. But there is also practical sanctification. That is, as you grow in grace and you are saved by grace through faith, you are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ's image, what does the scripture say? To do the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is this practicality. In Philippians 2.12, I used to stop at 2.12, where Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Baby, I did. I mean, my knees would be knocking, and when I went before the Lord to pray, it was with fear and trembling. And I skipped the next verse, and they can't be separated. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't rely on yourself. Not in your own power, for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. It's two steps. First, if this is the will of God, we're outside the will of God. God begins to work on our attitudes and our thoughts. He begins to line us up where our will and his will Simpatico. But now, he's not going to force you to act. What he asks is that you take that first step of faith. And as you step out in faith, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up and he works in you to act. So God works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. In when Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. God changed my life in 1996, I believe it was. When I had vertigo for a whole year. Now, I don't know, if you don't know what vertigo is, it's just like your world is spinning. You're nauseous. It's like you're drunk. Mine was 24-7 without a break. Never, it didn't matter if I, it wasn't positional. I mean, it didn't matter if I was laying down, standing up. When I walked, I walked like this. I'd be right over to the left. I couldn't read. I couldn't watch TV. And one night, eight months into this, I said to the Lord, well, no, I didn't say to the Lord, excuse me. I was in bed, and I said out loud, now I know why you tried it, Mom. My father was killed. He was a pilot, killed when I was six years old. My sister was just two. My mother tried to commit suicide several times. First, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and so she was just trying to save money. Then it was from depression. And by the way, she lived another 35 years after that diagnosis. But as a child, the first time it happened, I was 13. And I thought, why? Why would you do this? Why would you leave two little girls alone in the world without you? You know, when somebody tries to commit suicide, you know what it is? It's hopelessness. Now, as I laid in that bed that night and said, now I know why you did it, Mama. I wasn't to the point of con considering suicide. But just having the emotional identification with it scared the living daylights out of me. 
And I thought, if I could come this far, what if? What if I dropped further? Well, the next day, because my prayers had just gotten to a little short, gaspy, help me, Lord, prayers all day long. But the next day, the Lord impressed this thought upon my mind. As I was praying, he said to me, my word is life unto you. Oh, no, I set before you, he said, I set before you life and death, choose life. And I said, I mean, when I talk to God, I'm just as honest as if I was talking to you. I said, I have chosen life, Father. Jesus Christ is my Savior. If you mean anything more than that, you're going to have to tell me because I'm not in any position to figure this out. And he said, my word is life unto your bones. Get into the word. Now, when I said he said, this isn't, this isn't an audible voice. This was a still small voice. When, when he's impressing a thought upon your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I really felt impressed that I was supposed to get into the word, look up healing scriptures, and start praying them and confessing them over my life. It was laborious because your eyes wouldn't focus. So, and I didn't have a concordance, and I'm going through trying to remember where these healing scriptures are. And for two weeks... I would pray them back to the Lord. Oh, Father, I thank you that you sent your word to heal me. You know, you are the God who has delivered us from all. You're the God who heals all of our diseases. By his stripes, I'm healed. And I'm praying and praying. And there was no faith. And finally, one day, I thought, Lord, did you really tell me to do this? Or is this my own imagination? And he led me to three scriptures. Isaiah 55, verse 11, which says, God's speaking, and he says, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish every purpose for which I sent it. Then he led me to Jeremiah 1, 12, which says, I am watching over my word to perform it. But the kicker was Romans 4, 17. That says, God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they already were. So as you confess the word of God over your life, you are returning the word to him. It won't return void. He is watching over his word to perform it. And you may be confessing when you say, oh, Lord, I thank you that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Oh, Lord, I know I'm calling things that are not as though they already were because the old pops up, its, rears up its ugly head too often. But see, God sees the end from the beginning. If that's what he says, that's what you can count on. And I know it's late. I'm just going to kind of turn this off here now. But the point is this. I, I do want to add one thing. The three, you have to understand the gifts of grace to understand the effects of grace. Let me give you the definition God gave to me for grace. Divine grace is the unearned, undeserved gifts bestowed by a God of infinite love, which provide his divine assistance 
and supernatural power unto salvation. If you understand that Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word are God's three greatest gifts of grace, do you think grace gives us license to sin? Absolutely not. But don't ever think that you can work your way. Paul told in Galatians 5, 4, 6, that if we think we can be saved by the law, we have fallen If we're trying to be saved by the law, we have fallen from grace. We are estranged from Christ. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself. And it isn't... See, I I absolutely believe this. I'm going to stop. But I just have to say this. If you don't understand the holiness of God, the love of God, and that that love consumes sin. If you don't understand, if you don't understand how sinful you are, and I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're a pastor's daughter who grew up in the church and you're a fifth grade Adventist, let me tell you, it's not the name of your denomination that's going to save you. If we don't understand our own sinfulness. This is the beauty of the commandments. The Ten Commandments reflect the character of God. They show us where we fall short, and they show us our need for a Savior. And by the way, did you know that the Ten Commandments were written in the future tense? Do you know what that means? They're promises. It wasn't God on the mountain saying, Thou shalt not, like Charlton Heston's portrayal of it is. See, when God, if you really study Exodus, when God came down on the mountain with the thunderings and the lightnings and the pyrotechnic show, he came because they had forgotten his glory and his power. And, and Moses, when the people said, oh, you talk to him, we're afraid to. Moses said, no, 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 God was just testing you. God, he knew what God was doing. But see, God came down, and he is, he's entering into covenant relationship with these people. And here's what he's saying. You will not have any other gods before me. You will not serve idols and bow down to idols. You won't take my name in vain. You will be so excited to celebrate the Sabbath with me. This is a temple in time that I've set apart for you, a sign that I am God who created you and who will recreate you in the image of my son. It is a sign, as Exodus 31, 13 says, that I am the God who sanctifies you. He's saying, you will honor your mother and your father. You won't murder. You won't commit adultery. You won't steal. You won't bear false testimony. You won't covet. Why? Because that's what living in covenant relationship with me is all about. See, we're so blessed. God has promised to give us a new heart. 
And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will give you another helper, one who's just like me, to live with you forever. So when you think of grace from now on, what are his three greatest gifts? Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Don't take those gifts for granted. There is nothing you can do to deserve them. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. But, oh, praise God, every day, I never, every prayer I pray in the morning, I'm thanking God for Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and his word. And it's not rote because every day I wake up with this thrill in my heart for someone who tried to save herself for so many years and kept falling short. I wake up with the thrill in my heart that I am saved by grace through faith. And I pray that that will become your prayer as well, to praise God and thank him for his three greatest gifts of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. I know people have had a long day. We've all had a long day. I ask in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will seal this teaching in our minds. I pray, Father, that the first thing that my sisters will do tomorrow as they kneel to pray to you, is that they will ask to be filled with your spirit, that Christ may live in their hearts by faith. And I pray, Father, you will fill them with your divine love. And Lord, that we may love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And that we may love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, we want to be an authentic, witness to a skeptical world and we can't be unless we are filled with your spirit and with your love father thank you for your plan of salvation thank you that you are such a mighty and awesome god thank you for your amazing grace in jesus name amen Have you been blessed this evening? Amen. Um, just quickly, just a reminder to bring your programs back with you. We don't have a, a lot of them, so be sure and look in your bag. You should have them. Be careful on the pavement as you leave out here tonight. Um, the pavement is very uneven as you walk out, and it's dark, so please kind of hold on to someone. We don't want any accidents. We've already had one small one today, so be careful of that. And pace yourself. You're here to have a wonderful, blessed time in the Lord. So don't stay up all night tonight because you got all night tomorrow night too. So pace yourself in Jesus' name. And if I could see the leader for the Emoja ladies to meet me up here, and then you may go and uh, have a wonderful night, and we will see you in the calf at 8.30 for breakfast. God bless you and have a great night.